let's pray. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we, as we come to look at this word, we pray you teach us more about who you are, how you want us to respond to the gospel, to the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that by your spirit you'd please open our ears and our hearts and speak through me by your spirit. Only words I pray that are faithful and true and clear and relevant for us today in living and following the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray you'd be glorified through our attentive listening and our obedience in response. Amen. Samantha's mum asked her to not take any biscuits that had been freshly baked and just taken out of the oven. Three-year-old Samantha could see them, smell them. She wanted one. Her mum left the room and, and Samantha takes one. Samantha takes one and eats it. There's still a piece still in her hand though when her mum comes in and catches her. Samantha bursts into tears. 12-year-old Tom had his iPad taken off him for two days as a consequence for something he'd done. And then his dad catches him again on his iPad and Tom knows that there will be big consequences. Tom starts to cry and says, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. Fred's wife catches him looking at pornography. She feels upset, betrayed, rightly, leaves the room in shock and tears. Fred feels deep regret and shame. He says he's so sorry and he'll never do it again. Three days later, he does. In each of these cases, the wrongdoer, the sinner, feels remorse. They're sorry for the consequences of their sin, but that's different from repentance, as we'll see today. Remorse for sin and repenting of sin are not the same, and, and the difference matters. So I hope you'll keep listening. We're looking at the last few chapters of Matthew's Gospel. It's the lead up to Jesus' death on the cross. Last week in Matthew 26, Jesus had professed his lordship while Peter denied the Lord. If you're here, do you remember Peter wept bitterly over his sin? And you heard from John chapter 21 how Peter was forgiven and restored just like we can be. We can be forgiven and restored when we come to Jesus. Peter repented. But Judas Iscariot does not, as we'll now see. My first of three points today is the response to sin. The response to sin needs to be repentance and not just remorse. At some point, Judas's devotion to Jesus had turned to rejection or even hatred. Judas's plan since chapter 26, verse 14, was to betray, sorry, betray Jesus for money, and that plan has now paid off. Jesus has been arrested, he's been awake all night, being interrogated and abused by the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. In verse 65, they were convinced that Jesus was claiming to be God, and so he was guilty of blasphemy and therefore deserved death. 
But the Jews had no legal authority to execute criminals. And so, in 27 verse 1, they discuss, they plot how to have him put to death. They know they need the Roman governor Pontius Pilate to order his execution. And so, early on Good Friday morning, they hand Jesus over to Pilate, and we'll look at that next week. But for now, today we're considering Judas's response. It seems in verse 3 that Judas had either been watching Jesus' trial from a distance or he's seen Jesus being taken away to Pilate's and he knew Jesus was condemned as deserving death. And look at how he responds. Judas, we're told, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver. Judas confesses that he sinned and betrayed an innocent life. So he admits his guilt, his guilt, and Jesus' innocence. But the chief priests and the elders reply with, what's that to us? It's not our problem. Those spiritual leaders, they offered Judas no comfort or help. They just used him. And so Judas throws the money into the temple court. He goes away and hangs himself. Let's think about this. Judas confesses to betraying an innocent person. Back in Deuteronomy 27, verse 25, it actually says, the one who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person is cursed. Remember, back in chapter 26, verse 23, Jesus had warned Judas and the disciples, woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man, me, it would be better if he had not been born. So Jesus is saying, if you go ahead and do this, you will face God's just and terrible judgment. And Judas did it anyway. Yes, he felt remorse. Judas felt bad. He likely wished he could take it back. He felt so sorry for contributing to the death of an innocent person that he went away and committed suicide. The word for remorse used here has a range of meanings. It can actually mean repent in certain circumstances, but it can also just speak of regrets or a change in your thinking or your feelings. So you're thinking or feeling differently. And the context here makes very clear that regret and remorse is what it means here. Remorse is feeling sorrow for the consequences of your sin. Whether you suffer the consequences or someone else does. Just like when Samantha took the biscuits or when, say, a brother tells their parent that their younger sister broke the vase when it was actually him. And yes, he feels sorry and bad that his sister gets in trouble and suffers the consequence, but that brother didn't change his mind so as to turn away from the wrong. Remorse is feeling sorrow for the consequences, whereas repentance, biblical repentance, is feeling, is doing a U-turn. It's feeling sorrow that you have sinned 
against the holy and loving God and it involves a change of mind and direction. Repentance is more than just saying sorry or feeling sorry, it's turning back. Turning back in your heart to God, trusting in Jesus the Saviour for forgiveness and committing wholeheartedly to obey God in the future. Just like at Pentecost, the Jews heard the gospel. They were convicted of their sin and they say to Peter in Acts chapter 2, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent, be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In Acts chapter 3, Peter will say, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. It was written 450 years ago, 170 years ago. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is repentance unto life? Repentance that leads to eternal life. And this helpful answer is given. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. It's from God, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and an apprehension and understanding of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with a full purpose of an endeavour after new obedience. In other words, it's turning from your sin to God with a determination, commitment to obey by grace. The word for betray in verse 3 and verse 4 speaks of handing over, and Judas did that, didn't he? He handed Jesus over to the Jewish authorities, literally, physically. But the word can also mean abandon, and that that abandoning actually starts in the hearts, whether for Judas then or for us now. Judas abandoned and betrayed Jesus, and he truly regretted his choices and the consequences that came for Jesus. He regretted it so much that he killed himself. Whereas Peter, last week, remember, he responded to his denial and grievous sin with penance and faith. He stayed with Jesus' disciples. He turned to Jesus. He listened to Jesus. Responded with repentance and faith. And Peter was forgiven and restored. Judas did not turn back to God here or seek God's forgiveness. It's too late for Judas. It's not too late for us. As Neil said last week, your failure to keep your promise, your lying to save your own skin, your unkindness or your sexual impurity, it can be forgiven your failure to love others or your your going with the crowd even after you profess loyalty to Jesus can be forgiven. You just need to come to Jesus. And from our passage, the very next passage today, the message is we need to come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Turning from sin, trusting in him. Not like Judas but like Peter. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 has this verse that's worth memorizing because we all battle with sin. 
Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. In what way are you responding to your sin at the moment? Godly sorrow that leads to repentance or worldly sorrow? Tears don't mean you're repenting. Don't just feel bad for your sin. Please don't ignore your sin. Rather hate it and turn from it. Turn back to God by trusting in Jesus the Savior. Ask for forgiveness. It really is offered. And pray for strength and commitment to live God's way. But maybe like Judas, maybe you've abandoned or you're considering abandoning Jesus in your heart. Maybe you've already given your heart and your greatest love to someone or something else. Maybe you're seeking and loving money more than Jesus, or pleasure more, or that sin more. And you're you're coming to church because it's what you do or because your parents make you. Yes, maybe you're a teenager and you've already abandoned Jesus in your heart and once you finish school, you're out of here. Or as an adult, maybe you know your commitment to Christ is just a show. You're living a lie. If that's you, if, if any of these things describe you, then repent. Seek help. Talk to a Christian about it. Repent before it's too late. Turn back to the God who made you and who loves you. Turn back to and trust the Savior who gave his life to forgive and restore you. Turn back and you will experience God's welcome and eternal life, not eternal death. And real repentance, it it really does lead to real change. Last week, I was away in Vietnam. And with Andrew Harrison, uh, one of our elders, uh, and I was invited to preach a translated sermon at a Vietnamese evangelical church last Sunday. The church was part of a Christian rehabilitation, drug rehab center outside Hanoi. We met Pastor Chun who used to be a drug addict himself. That's he and his family there. He gave me this book with testimonies about the lives of people who've been saved, transformed by Christ, saved spiritually and transformed by Christ, including his own. He's now leading the church there and the rehab program and coordinates churches and rehab programs elsewhere around the country. So encouraging to see God's transforming work in his life and the lives of others there. Pham was one of those people who've had sad God work in him. So there are some people, as I read in the testimony, some turn to drugs for to find relief for the pain in their lives. Pham was pampered and pampered by a loving and supportive family. And after he was encouraged to try drugs for fun, he got hooked uh, and addicted. 
That led him to fight with his parents. He took their money. He stole their things. He demanded money from them to buy drugs. He says, day after day, my stomach churned and tears flowed from my eyes as I held the money that my mother had given me. It was only remorse, not repentance. Because he said, I continued to inflict pain and suffering on my parents and my family as I tried to satisfy my cravings. He was addicted for 16 years, dying of HIV, until he entered the Christian drug rehab program and Christians cared for him and shared the gospel with him and prayed for him. And Their program centers around Bible study and Times of worship and praise, morning and evening. Pham was converted. He was saved. And he was physically healed. Saved from physical death through Christ. And he's one of hundreds of people and families who've been transformed by Christ. Gospel is powerful to change. Remorse doesn't save Repentance and faith saves. I hope that you have turned your back on sin and relied on Jesus. Next we see the fulfillment. In verse 6, the chief priests take the coins that Judas had thrown into the temple. Now, if they can't keep it because it's blood money, you know, paid to kill someone, I don't know how they justified paying Judas that money in the first place. But they confer together. It's actually the same word for plotting as in verse 1, and and they buy the potter's fields as a cemetery for foreigners, Gentiles. Matthew then explains that the 30 pieces being used to buy the potter's field fulfilled words that were spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, we read earlier, didn't we, from Zechariah chapter 11, who spoke of how the Israelite leaders had failed as shepherds and God was going to shepherd them. And Zechariah is himself the one who acts this out. He's like this prefiguring, the acting as the messianic shepherd king. God's shepherd is only paid 30 pieces of silver. We'll come back to that. But he throws these 30 pieces of silver to the potter, we're told to, he throws them to the potter and who is in the house of the Lord. Now, Jeremiah is, all, is the prophet who speaks of a potter's house. Now, Jeremiah smashes a potter's jar to symbolize the death and destruction that will come on Jerusalem. And then in Jeremiah 32, he goes and buys a field. And so to draw this together, Jeremiah, the major prophet, bigger prophet, he speaks of uh, of potters and buying a field. Zechariah is the one who speaks of the 30 pieces of silver in the temple. And so Matthew mentions only Jeremiah, but, but he includes words of Zechariah too. So there's a combination of verses here. The point is, though, the prophecy is fulfilled. Matthew's eyewitness testimony here is still trustworthy. He doesn't have to mention in other parts of Scripture all the prophets that are quoted are not mentioned, and that's okay. As Augustine said, the New Testament is in the old concealed. The old is in the new 
revealed. The old and new are connected and the Lord is in control of every detail. But there's one more difficulty here, potential difficulty that I wish to touch on. Now, Matthew 27 says Judas threw the money into the temple and the priests used it to buy the potter's field as a place for foreigners. But in Acts chapter 1, it says Judas bought the fields and then he fell into it and died with his intestines spilling out. So how do we reconcile these? I want you to be able to trust God's word. So how do we reconcile these? It may be that the place where Judas hanged himself was that field and his body was left hanging and it swelled and decayed and eventually his body fell to the ground and his intestines spilled out. And that that field was bought still with the money from Judas and it got named Field of Blood. The focus focus of Matthew seems to be on how Judas killed himself. And Luke and Peter in Acts focus on the final state of Judas's body. But it can be helpful to see that Matthew may describe Judas in this way because he wants Judas's death to be seen in the light of a particular Old Testament background, a particular Old Testament story. In 2 Samuel, David's son Absalom betrays his father, the king, and seeks to kill him and and take the throne. David flees for his life. And Absalom's death is unusual. While he's out on his mule, 2 Samuel 18 says, his head got caught in the branches of a tree and he was left hanging by his head. He ends up being killed by soldiers, but he was left hanging. He dies hanging. Absalom can be said to have died a Judas-like death. A Judas and Absalom-like death. So please see the connection. Judas, I'm sorry, Jesus and David are both kings. And both are betrayed by those close to them. Remember, right since Matthew chapter 1, Jesus has been declared to be the son of David promised king and David was betrayed by one close to him same has now happened with Jesus and so David and Absalom are paralleled with Jesus and Judas Absalom was isolated and alone hung from a tree by his own self-ambition and so too Matthew does that with Judas And so Matthew and Luke, they report Judas' death in different ways, but they've likely got different reasons for doing so. The tension in the details is not necessarily a contradiction. We can have confidence in the text. We can trust God's word. Please know that the prophecies and promises in God's word will be fulfilled. They will always come true. My final point is the response to Jesus. Coming back to Matthew 27 and verse 9, they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him whose price was set by the Israelites, and gave them for the potter's field. The 30 silver coins was the price set by the Israelites And this refers back to Zechariah 11, 
A few weeks ago, when we looked at Judas's betrayal, we learnt then that the 30 pieces of silver was the price you'd pay for a slave. And so it wasn't much money at all that Judas accepted to betray Jesus. Jesus really was betrayed for a pitiful and pathetic amount. Zechariah 11 says there that it is a magnificent price. It's actually sarcasm. For it is a pathetic amount. In Zechariah, it was showing that the shepherd was rejected by the people. The Israelites valued the shepherd as worthy of only 30 pieces of silver. Remember, by come Jesus' day, that may have been worth $300. And so Judas didn't value Jesus. The Jewish leaders didn't value Jesus. The Israelites didn't value Jesus. He was not worth a magnificent price, rather a miserable price. My question is regarding our response. Do you value Jesus? And if you do value Jesus, how will it show? For if we value Jesus and he's worth our lives, our allegiance, our love, hearts, it will show. In the context of the passage, it will show in repentance. When we sin and we're convicted of that and we we will realize that we've failed and rejected the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And we will turn from that sin back to God, which Fred at the start in his pornography and Tom with disobeying his parents, both of them do not do that. They fail to repent. If we realize that we are honestly betraying Jesus by abandoning him in our hearts, turning away from the Savior who loves us and we will face judgment, then we should repent. Do you need to repent? What sin do you need to repent of? Please think again that Jesus is magnificent. He is and he's worthy of our hearts and our love and our devotion, our our obedience. So will you live for him? Our values form the foundation of our lives They dictate the choices we make, the direction our lives take, your decisions about relationships and career and everything. Jesus had values. And we who trust him and follow him, we've been saved to be like him. His values are to be our values. Jesus valued life. He came to give life, life to the full and life forever. We've seen... Judas and the Jewish priests are willing to take the life of an innocent person. We must not do that, not take life. We should be people who support life and help people to flourish in life. Is that true of you? The people you are closest to, the people you live with, do they flourish because of you? Jesus valued love, love for God. 
a love for his neighbor, love for the lost. Jesus' love, it was seen in so many ways, wasn't it? His love for God was seen in his prayers and his persevering, patient trust in trials, even as he walks this road to the cross. Is that being seen in you? Prayerfulness and persevering trust, even when you walk a long road of suffering. It can be you when you keep focused on his love for you. Christ was motivated by love and he truly loved others. He lived and died for love. In Matthew 27, he's heading to the cross for sinners, to die for sinners, even us. And so love makes you a giver and not a taker. Love leads you to love others and not only yourself. Don't wait to be assigned or asked. Assign yourself. Take the initiative. Give yourself away every day for Jesus loves you. And he will strengthen you to do that. Is loving others what you truly value? We saw last week that Jesus valued truth. He spoke the truth while Peter lied. Are you someone who values and speaks the truth? And I asked, do you speak the truth in love? Well, not to bash people over the head with the truth, but speak the truth in love. Do you do that? Do you speak the truth in love to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents? Do you speak the truth in love to work colleagues? When you're online with what you type, truth spoken in love, is that what it is? And in teaching the truth to your children, if you have children, will you teach them not just to fear the consequences of their sin and not just say sorry, as you command them to say to their brother or sister, but rather will you teach them that there is a Lord who they have sinned against and before him they need to repent, turn back to and trust. Lastly, Jesus valued relationships. He gave his life, his all, so that we could have relationship with him, never ending. Judas abandoned Jesus and his friends and died alone. Do you value your relationship with God, with Jesus? Do you value your relationships with others, including your church family here? Are you showing that in how you treat people? How you give of your time and your love and your energy? How you love and serve people even here? As you have strength. Do you value Jesus and what matters to Jesus? You see, more than Jesus and more than friendships, money is what mattered to Judas. Then he regretted that and he killed himself. He was remorseful, but not repentant. When you're convicted of your sin, please don't just feel bad about it, but turn from it, turn back to God, trusting in Jesus, trusting in and asking for the Spirit's help to live God's way, to value Jesus above all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're so worthy of our hearts, our devotion, our lives, our obedience. 
Please forgive us for our sin. By your Spirit's help and your grace, please don't just let us only feel bad for our sin, cry about what we've done. But may we hate it and turn from it back to you, seeking mercy in Christ. Lord, we pray by the strength and help of your Spirit, because it's only by the Spirit that we can put the misdeeds of the flesh to death. Pray that by your Spirit we would turn from sin, our individual particular sins. We would keep trusting in Christ, that we would be equipped to live his way, to grow more like him and to value what he values. Please, Father God, glorify yourself in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.